0: Says you were on medication, but you don't know what kind.
1: Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. They were these little um, <clears throat> pink tablets. I think it said CRC arm, something like that. You were getting them illegally. Yes, I was getting them illegally. So what? Why? So I wouldn't have to talk to somebody like you. Do you know what they were? Uh, yes. And at the dosage you say you were taking, I'd say you're lucky to be sitting up. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Can you get me some more of them?
0: <laughs> okay. Ready?
1: Right, go. 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 Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait You Haven't Seen, and it's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically, we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 129, and it is the final week of cage palooza 2021. And uh, the movie for this week was 2004's Matchstick Men, and joining me to talk about it, she had seen it before, brought it up as a good Nicolas Cage movie. Somehow I hadn't seen it, and it's Amy Frost. Amy, how are you?
0: Oh, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm excited to be here for Cage Palooza for the finale.
1: Yeah, and uh, I don't know exactly how or why this one slipped through the cracks for me. It's Nicolas Cage. Already I, mm-hmm. I like that. I am a uh, unabashed Ridley Scott fan. I love his movies. Yep. Even some of his bad movies, I enjoy. And it's also got Sam Rockwell in it. Mm -hmm. I love Sam Rockwell I have real good
0: Sam Rockwell in it yes
1: like I have loved Sam Rockwell since I realized he was the kid in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles trying to give the other dude cigarettes (laughs) but then when I saw him as Wild Bill in the Green Mile I like fell in love with him all over again as like this dude's awesome so how I didn't see this movie for 17 years I don't know <laughs> I will say I am not alone in that because looking at the box office numbers, it didn't do well. It had a $60 million yeah. budget and it made like $62 million worldwide, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Um and it's just it's nuts to think that because this is a good movie. I'm just gonna come right out yeah. and say it at the beginning. This is a good movie. Um one of the things I like to do with with this month of August and sort of celebrating Nick cage is I talk about it quite a bit, but Nicholas cage is unique in, in Hollywood in that he doesn't say no, he just takes yeah. on anything. And if you've, yeah. I mean the, the, the for varying degree <laughs> for better or for worse, you're right. But like the varying degrees of movies that we've covered just for my show are it gets like, nuts I mean this year alone yeah. you know Mandy last week was less a film and more as Phil put it uh, Phil Rude, who was my guest last week one of them is uh, more like a theme park ride <laughs> like that movie's like an experience um yeah. trapped in paradise is a cheese ball comedy from the mid 90s mm-hmm.
0: and
1: uh and then you have something like color out of space which is adapting HP Lovecraft and it's like this crazy i'm just gonna go
0: find a cash machine
1: thank you very much um but also like you have this movie this movie is really good and cage in particular is very good in it
0: really good
1: like that's the thing with nicholas cage is he he can be fantastic you don't win an oscar Uh on accident Regardless yeah. of what people will say about somebody like a Marissa Tomei winning it or whatever you want to say, like the people that will downplay that, it doesn't happen by accident. You have to be good at what you do in order to even be right. considered for it. Yeah, He's won an Oscar. Now, yes, he has done some shit. Movies <laughs> and he, has, he has been bad in those movies, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is not one of them. This is, this is like peak, top-level, S-tier Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Um he's just he the character of Roy is interesting in itself and he brings something to it. There's a there's equal parts uh of vulnerability and like a complete uh knowing of what he's doing at all times and having everything under control, mm-hmm. but it's yeah. on like a razor thin edge at all times. Yeah. And and the other thing with him, I think with this portrayal is he's playing a character that has ticks and he has some, some OCD leanings. He doesn't do it in a cartoonish fashion.
0: Yeah. And that is something that I was pretty happy about. Um, Because yeah, like I thought it was a pretty honest portrayal really. Like, I mean, is it a little over the top? Maybe a little, but it's, it's, it's not like, it's not like a lot of the times when things like OCD are portrayed in media, um, where you feel like you have to go like complete or, or like Tourette's is a big one that Mm -hmm. they go way overboard. Um, and like, it's also one of those things, right? Where it's like, yeah, he's got a problem, but like, he's getting by, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like, He's trying, you know what I mean? Well, like it, sure he's a he's a con man, but he's still going to work every day. Sure, yeah. He just has and, to open and close the door three times before he does.
1: But what I thought was interesting too is like his tics are part of the characterization, but they don't mm-hmm. define the character. The character isn't defined right. by his OCD, by his tics, by his weirdness. He's he just has them and he has to deal with them. And it is a driving part of the plot. But it's not done to a caricature level. Yeah. And it also feels more realistic because they're not a constant thing that never change. They're Mm -hmm. always evolving, which I have learned over time is how a lot of that stuff works. Yeah. Uh, More realistically, like he has he has a tick and it gets his his left eye twitch or the little Mm. sound that he makes quite a bit. When his stress levels get high, when his anxiety goes up, but it's not constantly there, which right. sometimes when you get something like Tourette's being uh, portrayed on screen, they just make it this constant thing that never stops. And that's not necessarily true. But I also like that a lot of it was was not controlled by medication, but he thought it was, mm-hmm. to where there was more control there than he thought But because he didn't know how to handle it properly and just wanted the easy way out with drugs, without confronting it. Like it it was interesting the way that they portrayed it where it was such an integral part of his character without defining the character.
0: Yeah. For me it was um it was the camera work of like Mm. especially for like his agoraphobia, right? Like the way that the camera would like jerk around and things would like speed up and slow down, and I was like, oh. And that that feels about right. Okay.
1: So, That's well done. Yeah, sure. That is that is something that I definitely want to touch on. And that is Ridley Scott and the director of photography, whose name is escaping me at the moment, but I'll get it here, uh, John Matheson, have worked together a lot. And Ridley Scott as a visual director I love because he has such an eye for how a shot should look. Mm -hmm. And how how to portray like he he was hot off the heels of uh, this was 2004. So his previous three movies, which had all come out in 2000, 2001 and 2002, I think, were Gladiator, Hannibal and uh, what was the third one in that Uh, it was Gladiator, Hannibal and Black Hawk Down. Yeah. So and then he does Matchstick Men. But those three movies had such an interesting visual style and were able to portray things like that. Uh, like, um, uh, oh, Black Hawk Down had stuff where, you know, explosions are going off and the way that that is treated. And, yep. and how it becomes almost a character in and of itself and then how the characters interact with that. He brings that to this movie, which is such a smaller scale. It's not this big bombastic thing, but he brings some of that sensibility into it, which gives it an interesting visual component that takes mm-hmm. the script. Because this was a script written by the same guy that wrote Ocean's Eleven.
0: Which, uh, yeah. You can kind of see Okay, that. yep. <laughs> um,
1: what I What I thought was kind of cool is it's... It is a con movie, but it's done so differently. And it's got that, that kind of lens of Ridley Scott to it, where there's visuals that make you look at things differently. And I love that you brought up the whole agoraphobia and the way that he dealt with, like, when they open the door at the beginning, when the oh, woman yeah, opens up the door can see
0: is like the pollen.
1: Mm-hmm, that's <laughs> it. Like he hyper focuses yep. on that. And, and so you are there with him. You now fully understand what he's going through in that yeah. moment even if yeah. you don't suffer from that thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I really, really like that. It's
0: upsetting. It is very uncomfortable, and you're like, oh, okay. Got you it. You know,
1: and and they had little things like his uh, OCD of having to open and close the door three times and counting yep. to three, but he didn't always have to do that. So no. some of it was when he was thinking about his OCDs and his tics, mm-hmm. they manifested. Yeah. But if something like him trying to cook food for his daughter and her not liking it so he orders up a pizza and what's he do? Rip the door open right away because he's not thinking about it at that point he's just trying to appease her so I just I found that really interesting and I just I like Nick Cage when he when you get a director that Cage you can tell Cage respects and that director has a solid vision you get such good work out of him and Mm -hmm. Ridley Scott is one of those directors Ridley Scott shows up uh if you if you hire him to direct something he shows up with half of it already shot in his head yeah and he's got a very distinct idea of what he wants to do and so he always seems to get really good performances out of people i mean mm-hmm. i can't think of a of a ridley scott movie that i have seen that's had poor performances in it i think um i think there are some probably but yeah uh, you know so yeah, it's just Nicholas Cage was so so good in this because it was it still had your cage freakouts. You had your moments. Oh, yeah. You have the the trailer moment um, which I didn't realize came so late in the movie where he's at the pharmacy mm-hmm. trying to get uh, yep. the refill. Yeah. You know, that was in all the trailers. It's the clip that people like to show cuz it's a that's a it's good It's the cage... only
0: gif on Twitter. Right. <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> And look, it's a good moment in the movie. That's that's prime. Like, when you think of Nicolas Cage overacting, that's yep. one of those clips that comes to mind. And you have that here, and it fits. It fits the moment perfectly. I think that's part of why I liked it so much in the context of the movie is... Mm-hmm. It's not a cage freak out that's just like out of nowhere, him going crazy, bug eyed, and yelling at people. Right. There's a legitimate reason for his character to have that reaction in that moment because he yeah. thinks he and doesn't I, I, have his medication.
0: I like that, like, once the other pharmacist is like, come here, I'll, I'll help you. And he's like, I'm sorry.
1: That was the other thing, too. I liked, <laughs> I liked how, again, Roy would freak out over something. Yeah. But. But Roy wasn't a bad guy because he could immediately see, no, 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 shoot. I, that's, that, that's not me. That's not what I need to be doing. Hold on. Right. Whether it was with um, his daughter or the guy in line that he was going to drag outside and beat him on the sidewalk. like Whatever <laughs> it was, as soon as somebody stepped in and was like, hey, 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 he, he would calm down and then he'd be like, I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: You're, you don't deserve that type of thing. I liked that. I just liked his portrayal so much. The acting in this entire movie was great.
0: Yeah. And it's that very it's that very much um, that thing that when you have when you have mental health problems that, like, you know, you're being unreasonable and, you know, like, but you can't help it like because it's brain chemistry. And so, like, that seemed that felt real true to me. You know what I mean? That, like, I'm going to lose it right now because I cannot help it, but I don't feel great about it. And I am sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was real good.
1: Yeah, it was just, it was, it's hard to call any Nicolas Cage portrayal subtle, but it's yeah, much no. <laughs> more, this is a much more subtle performance out of him. Yeah. Because he could have, I think with a lesser director, if Nick Cage is involved in this. Oh,
0: it, it, it could have gotten it goes, way out of hand. Yeah, it
1: goes nuts. Yeah. Um, I think with a different actor, it goes in a very different direction. It, like, this is mm-hmm. a perfect Marriage of character and actor and director, bringing yeah. it all together. And then he gets to play off of Alison Lohman, who was. Who I love. Utterly fantastic. Who went on
0: to be in one of my favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. So. Which yeah. one was that? Love her. Ah, mm-hmm. Big Fish.
1: Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. She, so I love the story that she showed up to the audition, uh, or either the audition. So I watched a documentary after watching the movie. Um, on the making of and the first part of it was casting and apparently the way ridley scott likes to do a lot of his casting is watch videotaped uh, auditions and then yep. whittle it down from there so he's like i think his quote was i don't want to see 50 people for and meet 50 people for the role i yeah. want to sit down and talk to two or three or four people yeah so yep. he would watch stuff and then bring them in and i guess when she showed up To meet him, she was dressed like a 14 year old. Yep. She had her hair and little, the little pigtails and all that. He didn't know that she was in her 20s until after (laughs) they had cast her. Yeah. And then then it was like, oh, oh, she's not 14. (laughs) She's actually 21, 22. Um,
0: Which is perfect.
1: Yeah. It's perfect for the role. And because she can pull that off, she's, she's very small. She's very slight. Yeah. So, and they, they went kind of tomboyish with the character, so she was able to pull off um, looking younger than she is. I don't think she quite looked 14, but she looked Hollywood 14. She looked yeah, she looked right. 14 for a movie.
0: She looked teenager, certainly. Oh, definitely.
1: Yeah. Um, but she's fantastic in this, too, because she's believable the whole way through. Yep. She, I mean, when you find out... So, look, spoilers. We do that on this show. I'm just going to say it now. <laughs> yeah. We're spoiling the whole damn movie, okay? When it's revealed, and the funny thing is, the way that you find out that she was in on the con, she's not even on screen, so there's no like big reveal moment with her per se until that little denouement at the end. But, yep, but finding out that she's part of the con being run on Roy the whole time, it's like that's well done. You know, some of the reviews I was reading were like. Oh, it was predictable you could see it coming. Look, I don't one, no. Two, okay. Even if you could see it coming, you didn't see it coming until well over halfway into the movie. Yeah. And so, you know, that's it's fine. But she's she just she plays that part great and she uses everything against Roy the character does, like not wanting to go talk to the mother. Yep. And so having to stop a couple of blocks away always. Right. And and that being a thing that she can use to her advantage. And but there's it's like one this, of
0: those really good like twist reveals where all of a sudden, like as soon as it happens, like your brain goes back through like all <laughs> of the little details and you're like, oh, oh, no.
1: Yeah. And they put well, it wasn't clues, there the whole time. Yeah. They yeah. put clues throughout the movie. And
0: that's why like I... that, that Frank is the one that recommends the psychiatrist because they helped his aunt out after the divorce and yep. like he's going to be really good. And I did that guy, though, because he walks into the doctor's office and and uh, Roy's like, you know, yeah, I just I just need the meds. You know, it was like the clip at the beginning. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's like you don't need medication. And I'm like, mm, no, but maybe he does for like a hot second because that's what you do, right? Like, let's get you into a stable place and then we can work on things and get back there. So that was like, I was like, mm, Yes, mm, but I also
1: bought it because the way he framed it was like, I don't just write a prescription without talking to somebody first.
0: Right. No, and that, yes.
1: And so, but, but what, I, what I liked about it was, Yes, they lay all these clues out. But you're right. It's really not until it's revealed and then you're like, oh, they were telling us this the whole time. It's like what time. I talk about with usual suspects or like what I talk about with a yeah. lot of movies that have a twist. Most well-executed twists in a movie, they're laying the breadcrumbs out for you the whole time. Right, but then they have you to. Sit- Otherwise, it's, you yeah. know,
0: because it's not, it's not a... It's not a riddle. It's not a twist if you couldn't have maybe figured it out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like if the parts weren't there, then it's not it's not a puzzle. Like it it's you're just changing the story.
1: Yeah. Yep. And and that's just that's lazy storytelling in that at that yeah. point. But I guess I bristle every time I read reviews where people are like, Oh, it was so predictable. No, it was predictable after you finished the movie and you can look at it in hindsight. Right. What I want is is people like that to write down their predictions 20 minutes into the movie. Yeah. Cause I had suspicions. Like I wondered because they made it a point to show his uh, pill, the first pill and then show yep. the second pill. I wondered, and I think I even wrote myself a note like, I wonder if that's actually a medication or not. Yeah. But that that moment went away pretty quickly because he started feeling effects of it right away Better. and the way that yep. the movie framed it. OK, no, never mind. They you know, they made it a point to show the pill. And I'm like, well, that'll come up again later. But I don't know exactly how. But they still they like allay your uh, your suspicions and they they did a really good job of kind of laying the breadcrumbs out without just being a giant sign that says, hey, hey, look here. So I really liked that because um, I had yeah. my suspicions about Frank through from like halfway through the movie on and i kept telling yeah. myself don't let it be frank pulling a double cross on him i don't want that yeah and i didn't want that because it's sam rockwell and i love sam rockwell so much <laughs> and i don't want him to it's be a dick
0: really good sam rockwell oh man is a it good sam rockwell. well but i mean so that's that's one of my favorite things about it is that like yes he's being a dick and like yes he's the villain of the story but like also, he's not like he's only playing by Roy's rules. Mm-hmm. Like Roy taught him the game and he's playing by Roy's rules. so it all kind of shakes out in the end, which I mean even at the very end, like that's why Roy can't stay mad at her because she didn't take his money. he gave he it, gave it, to, it her. to them.
1: And what I liked about that is you you get that setup. You get him telling somebody that earlier in the movie. That they, I didn't take money from anybody. They gave it to me. So he's right. justifying that. And then when he's on the wrong end of it, he realizes it. But also, yep. he knows from doing this work that the people who get conned don't go to the cops because they were involved in something they shouldn't have been in the first place. And they're either too embarrassed or yeah. they don't want to be implicated. So they're not going to do anything about it. And he doesn't either. So it's like this was set up for him. so that
0: was my favorite my the cons at the beginning are my absolute favorite because it's the double layer con Mm
1: -hmm.
0: because first they do the con with the water filtration system and then they go be pretend cops and then take all of their money and it's so good so good that you can really feel that oceans 11 kind of like heist layering
1: it's yeah. So yep. I think so. And and you're right. I loved the double con. And then like there was just little things throughout the whole movie. I love the him working with her on her first con of the lady at the laundromat. Yep. Who by the way, yep. it's one of the few times that actress, uh, the laundry lady, um, mm-hmm. isn't a total horrible person in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of nice to to see uh, to see her <laughs> not be the worst person ever. Because all I can yeah. ever think of her from is either Donnie Darko, who she's terrible mm-hmm. in that. Or, um, it's Beth Grant, by the way, laundry lady, uh, Beth Grant. She was also in Willie's wonderland recently and she was a horrible person in that too. So it's like, it's nice to see her get to do something different and not just be typecast as like this crazy person or yelling about yeah. random stuff. Uh, yeah. but I love too, like, I love a good con movie because a good one is well-written tight stuff that, uh, that has you paying attention the whole time. Right. And this is one of those. I think it was well-written, and I think then bringing Ridley Scott in to direct it to give it a nice, unique visual flair, but also, like, his pacing and his ability to use music and his ability to—he—so, according to the the documentary that I saw, he was looking at this as a comedy. Okay. But the writers were seeing it more as this dramatic character study. Yeah. And I think that really works. Like, the first draft of the script—so, this is based on a book— and the mm-hmm. guys that wrote the script, the he he said that he read the book and he did not like the reveal of everything being a con on Roy at the end. Mm-hmm. And so his first draft got rid of all of that. That wasn't part of yeah. the movie. And when Ridley Scott came on board, he said, no, 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 we got to put that back in. And, and he wanted that there. But then he's looking at this as more of a comedy. Granted, kind of a dark comedy, but a comedy nonetheless. Right. And I think that that makes it more endearing because it's not mean spirited. Right. I think it's another thing like they're doing harmless cons. They're conning people out of money, but like they're not.
0: Right. And I mean, like he even goes as far as right because it's like, you know, well, how much money did you give him? And and the lady's like $700 and her and her husband is just like, ah, come on. And he's like, I've you know, well, how much is this worth? Well, it's like 50 bucks at the at the hardware store. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and then, and then Roy's like, Oh, I've heard of people that, you know, I've talked to people that paid twice as much. And yeah. she's like, so she's like, so relieved. <laughs> she's like, Oh, at least it was only $700.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's doing, he's definitely doing small time cons. Um, yeah, but it, it you know, never any violence or anything like that, which was, I think one of the things that was interesting that Frank, did go that route. Whether it was fake violence or not. Right. Khan con went that route. Yeah. Um. So. But Frank. Frank is an interesting character in the movie. Because. I spent most of the movie. A. Not wanting him to turn out to be the bad guy. But kind of knowing that it was going to happen. Like it just felt. Sure. It felt like they were going to do that with him. Because that was. That was Sam Rockwell at that time. Uh, right was he he just has that look about him. i don't know what it is about him that kind of gives that that feeling um but certain times I he's so I see disarming that. i think that's what it you know? is he is incredibly charming he's affable you like him a lot and so then when you see him in a movie like this where he's playing opposite of nick cage and there is no real like yes they have the bruce mcgill character of um for Chet, uh for Chet, yeah. who's set up as the bad guy, so to speak, yep. the foil, but he's kinda not because he's barely in the movie. So that's sort of the thing where it's like, oh man, they're gonna it's gonna end up being Frank, isn't it? And I don't want it to be. And then after everything goes south, you're sort of I'm thinking, Okay, nope, Frank is gonna double cross him. I don't want him to double cross him. And then they have their meeting at at uh, Dodger Stadium and they in the car in the parking lot and they're talking and everything. I'm like, Okay, no, never mind, we're good. Right up to the point where he leaves with the girl, after yeah. after shooting Frichet, which by the way I wasn't prepared for. Um, <laughs> like that scene was was came out of nowhere on me. Yep. It is a lot. What it was about it wasn't. It wasn't that it got to the point of a of a standoff. It wasn't to the even to the what it got to the point where she shoots him, which was rough enough. Yeah. She shoots him out of uh, mostly self-defense in a lot of ways. Um, right. She's freaking out, which again, great performance by, by Allison Lohman and great performance by uh, Angela as a character. Um, yeah. She is freaking the hell out. But then to have Frechette slump back over that coffee table and his legs twitching. I was like, "Oh, that that's a Ridley Scott <laughs> touch because that's the type of thing. Yeah. He has that visceral ability f- with with violence to make it hmm. to make it something that disarms you, makes you uncomfortable, but you also like get that feel like it made my skin right. crawl and made that feel so realistic because mm-hmm. I had I will be completely honest, I thought he was dead. I did not Anticipate yep. that character coming back because of that. Like that level of immersion into right. that violence was something else. So, kudos, hat tip to Ridley Scott and Bruce McGill, who, by the way, Bruce McGill, if you want somebody mm-hmm. to be an asshole, get Bruce McGill. He's yeah. good at it. He is so good yeah. at it. Nice dude. And what I found hilarious watching that documentary was during the casting process, Ridley Scott talking about him and being like, but I've worked with him before, and he's such a nice guy. It's hard for me to picture him being sleazy and being a bad guy. And I'm just like, yeah. I have a note here that literally says, "Bruce McGill is such a good asshole." So yeah. <laughs> I
0: don't. It's always the nice ones. I, yeah, that's true. They <laughs> like if you see an actor play themselves um, in anything, if they are an asshole when they are playing themselves, then they are actually like a super nice person. Oh,
1: absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. no th- so okay the scene where he comes home and you know frank is there already and and for has got him that that standoff yep. scene that for me is probably the best scene in the movie and there's a yeah. lot of good scenes in this but the i bought every performance in there it was so mm-hmm. well done it was so tightly done i just i liked everything about it i liked everything about that moment yeah. and it set me up It completely set me up um, because I can buy that uh, everything went down the way that it did uh, according to the story, right? I'm buying that Frechette came after him and had all that information. Yes, in hindsight, in retrospect, as the movie unfolded, okay, now I get it. They're all working together. Right. I didn't know that at the time. So it was a, a really visually arresting scene the way they lit it with like the pool, the lights reflecting off the pool coming in through the sliding glass doors are your light source for it. Yeah. Um it's at night. You got great performances from all four people. It's just so good. It's it's I'm gushing about it, but it's that good. I really, <laughs> really enjoyed it.
0: I like it because it it winds up like it's it's almost it's a scene that sort of winds up setting up so that Roy is not going to go after Frank because it's it's at this moment that Roy realizes that he doesn't really want to do this anymore Mm -hmm. like this is the moment at which he's out and so after everything and after he you know after he loses everything and he's like it's it's almost like you know he's like he's already out Mm -hmm. so he's not gonna go hunt Frank down like he's he's done he's like you know it's that it's that whole thing yep he gave it to him
1: yeah basically he he was one foot out the door anyway and that was the the final thing he wasn't going to get back into that game no matter what Um, yeah and I like too that they were planting the seed of him kind of getting out of it whether whether things went out the way they did or not with the cashier um, yeah. at the store that he went to because they had just that one little moment where he he breaks what he would normally do and introduces himself and, and has her name like so that's a nice then nice reveal at the end that he went for it and he went after that I do wonder how much of his previous life she knows but you know that's, yeah. a, that's a conversation for a different time um, <laughs> but yeah I just what I liked about it is it Again, like I said, I like Con movies. I, I'm a big fan of the Ocean yeah. series. Those are fun. Um, there was one from around the same time called Confidence with Edward Burns, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Brian Van Holt and Paul Giamatti and and Andy Garcia. Again, uh, Confidence is a ton of fun. Like I like those kinds of movies because they're they're usually very charming characters, very characters that you kind of can, can get invested in, and like a good mystery you're trying to figure out what's going on yeah as the movie's unfolding so that had this but then it had that extra layer of this really great character study of this guy finding out he's got a daughter and trying trying he wants to be a good father he wants to be a father to her but he doesn't at the same time like he's scared the hell of it but she draws him in and so I think
0: she... I think that's the other part of it, right? For not going after Frank, is because he's just like he's so devastated mm-hmm. that, like, when he goes to the mom's house and he's like, "Where is she?" and she's like, "I, who are you?" and he's like, "You were pregnant." There was, and she's like, "Yeah, I lost it." I there's and he, like, at that point, what's you know all of that money? It mm-hmm. doesn't matter, like.
1: Well, that was the thing you were seeing some cracks in the facade of like him being somebody who didn't care about other people because now he's getting this. He's getting this connection with another person that he's never had in his entire life. Like as close as he got was was the the mom. Right. Right. Um, And that never really went anywhere. But now he's got this chance to make a connection. And she does such a good job bringing him in to the trap. Mm -hmm. But. But creating this situation, she's so, it's manipulative, right? She manipulates oh, yeah. the hell out of him. But at the same time, he finds, he finds something about himself that he really likes. Because when I'm watching it, and we've seen the scene where he knocks his pills into the, the sink, yep. and his reaction to that is to go on a four-day cleaning bender, where he's, yep ironically cleaning and smoking at the same time so yeah it's real good it's a zero-sum game there i mean you gotta
0: (laughs) i mean because that's the that's that's the whole thing right is especially with things like um obsessive compulsive disorder is that it's not it it's that you've and i mean it does happen with things like anxiety too where like you formulate rules like Mm -hmm. they don't necessarily make sense but like there's rules and so if you don't you had to take your shoes off on the carpet and there's fibers on the carpet. And then Frank comes over and he spills food on the carpet. Yep. Um, I liked all Frank's little voicemails.
1: Oh, those were great. <laughs> like, Their hey, relationship buddy. was great because So good. So, okay, when you're doing a long con like Frank is doing, because you have to wonder how yeah. long we don't know exactly how long they had been working together, but it's right. obviously been a while. Right. And then you have to wonder when, at what point did Frank decide he was going to turn on him and con him? Right. And how long had he been doing that? How long before uh, sending him to that psychiatrist and setting the wheels in motion had he started that con? Because you, you have to believe he did prior to that.
0: Right. I mean, because because he wouldn't have sent him to... Like, he had no control over the knocking the pills into the, into the sink. Mm-hmm. It was basically waiting for Roy to have a breakdown. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, you kind of, you kind of just have to wait for that part. I mean, I suppose, you know, where he's getting his drugs illegally, he probably could have, you know, yeah, messed up that supply chain too. But, you know, I, I think, I think he was sort of like part of it had to be waiting, but, and, and it goes back to the part where, um, like Roy, when they start doing the, uh, the lottery scam, Right. And Roy tells her, you got to be adaptable. You got to, you know, you got to be able to, mm-hmm. to roll with the punches. And I think that that's a lot of that. Right. It's just yeah. the like, all right, we're good. Cool. Well, and two, like,
1: there's a respect that Frank has for Roy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and never, never did I get this feeling like there was this personal distaste like it, no. it didn't fall into that trope. Uh, sometimes you'll get in either a con movie or just movie that involve, especially movies that involve criminals, where there's the trope of like the, the protege or the understudy dislikes for some reason right. the person that's teaching them, but they work with them reluctantly or they, they secretly hate them. And that right. was never the feeling between Frank and Roy. Like, yeah.
0: No, I believe Frank when in the letter he's like, I'm, listen, you said when you've got an opportunity, you got to take it. And I did. Yeah. So, you know, and I, I, it really was just that.
1: Yeah. He figured out that there was a good score here and he went for it. And that's, I think probably part of why Roy doesn't do anything either is he's like, he did what I taught him to do. (laughs) He just beat me at my own game. Um, So there's a lot of, there's a lot of that in there. I just really liked all the interplay. Like, The fact that Frank and Angela have no scenes together until after the airport part of the con. Yeah. So you don't get the sense as you're watching things unfold that they're working together at all because they don't have any scenes together. They never interact. And so the closest you get is the interaction where, and and his, his reaction to seeing her in the car doesn't feel out of place. No. So it's just, it's, it's so real. well, like plotted out. I really, I love that. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you get no real sense that um, Frank and Frechette are working together. Um, no,
0: um, because he's just, the scene in the strip club is so good. Oh, yeah. Like the the whole, like, he didn't see you, you know, he didn't see you walk in, you got it, and he, like, yells loud for the beer until the guy turns around, you know, and, yep. like, the whole thing with the envelope. And oh, like yeah. sneaking it back in the pocket. Oh, it's so well done. It's
1: I love that uh, stuff. yes. No, it's that's, that's the kind of stuff where it's like, these are masters of their craft, right? Like it's well-written, yeah. but then it's, it's acting performances and it's direction. It's knowing what you need to tell your audience.
0: Yeah.
1: And it makes you want to watch the movie again. Now you want to watch it. Yeah. And I talked about this with uh, the usual suspects and it's probably one of my favorite analogies to this type of film or or a mystery or anything like that where there's a big reveal and that rewatchability of it yeah. is it's like going to see a play and you sit in a yeah. certain spot in the theater and you watch the play and then you go and you see that play again, but you sit somewhere else and you're yeah. seeing the exact same play, but now you're seeing it from right. a different angle in a different spot in the house and it's a different experience from there.
0: Or it's like we talked yeah. about with Knives Out where they give you the end at the beginning. Yeah. And then you have to, like, get back to where you were going, kind of. Like, you yeah. already know who did it, And now it's just everything shaking out afterwards.
1: Right. And Knives Out is, like, layers of that, right? Because yeah. they did it inside the actual movie on top of now you watch it again to see even more of that. And right. I love that. I love the idea of now I can go and watch this movie again. I'm never going to have the same experience of watching Matchstick Men again like I did this time. But it's still going to be really good and really enjoyable. And I will remember how this viewing of it felt. It's like when every time I watch The Usual Suspects is a little bit different. But I still remember that first time I watched it and that reveal. Knives Out is another one. Like all those types of movies that do that. Clue is one, honestly, is a comedy that had all those, those fun trappings. So this ticked all the boxes for me. This is exactly what I love in like a good kind of... I love a good whodunit or I love a good con movie when they're well done. And like I said, Ridley Scott, I mean, the the guy made Alien, Blade Runner, Legend. Um, mm-hmm. but, but Gladiator is amazing. I didn't hate Hannibal like a lot of people did. Um, yeah, He does kind of, he does have peaks and valleys. Um, but sure. when he's good, I mean, it's Alien like. or it's Blade Runner or it's uh, American Gangster. If you haven't seen that, yep. that is fantastic. That is so good. And that dude just gets performances out of people like mm-hmm. the best of Russell Crowe is when he's working with with Ridley Scott, in my opinion, yeah. whether it's gladiator, body of lies. He's great in. Um, But you get I mean, just there's something about Ridley Scott and his direction and the fact that he can do just about anything. Yeah, because look at uh, the the varied styles of movies he's done. Haunted House in Space, like Alien, one of the seminal uh, uh sci-fi movies and Blade Runner, but then Thelma Louise. Right. Like that doesn't fit the mold at all. And then he goes <laughs> on and he does things like G.I. Jane and he does uh 1492 conquest of paradise. Like it, they're yeah. always different. And I like that. Like some directors can kind of find their lane and yep. they're going to keep doing that. They're going to, it's fun to trash on Michael Bay, but like Michael Bay knows what he's doing. He
0: does what he, what does. he does really well. Yeah. Yep. If you and, want lens Flares and explosions, he is your dude and he's gonna do it as hard as he can.
1: yeah or uh, or JJ Abrams is another one whether you like his yep. movies or not he's gonna hit that he's gonna hit those nostalgic notes. he's gonna find the things that make you remember whatever it is from your childhood and he's gonna he's gonna pick on those Steven Spielberg Spielberg does branch out a little bit more. He doesn't always do the same type of movie. But yeah. there's something about Ridley Scott, whether he's doing a, a crime drama like American Gangster or he's doing sword and sandals epic like Gladiator or he's doing yep. a sci fi thing like Prometheus or Alien. Like he can do all these. And then on top of that, he can throw in Matchstick Men, this little con yep. movie that he could shoot in like six weeks in L.A. And, yeah. you know, it's just it's great. I love that. And this is one of my favorite. Uh, I'm putting it out as one of my favorite Ridley Scott movies that I've seen.
0: Like it's up there.
1: It's really good. Yeah. 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 That's a good point, JF. Michael Bay is Willy Wonka and everyone is pissed at him for not being Anthony Bourdain. (laughs) It's true. That's true. I mean, the guy's got a style. He rides it into the ground, but he's got a style. Uh, Honestly, when Michael Bay is good, it's, it's intriguing to watch. Whether it's The Rock, The Island, I actually enjoyed quite a bit. Um, the first Transformers movie is what it is, and it gave me everything that I wanted. The problem was he made the same movie four more times.
0: That, I mean, that's exactly it, right? Like, that's that's the Michael Bay problem, is that they're, like... I mean, because The Rock is in my top films, um, mm-hmm. I because I was in high school when that came out. And I think, like, they used to do, like, $3 movies in the afternoon, and I think I saw it, like, eight times in the theater, like... It was uh, like that. That was like a big one for me growing up. You know what I mean? And uh, so that was like you know I mean that's good stuff. And like Transformers is fine, but like I, like I didn't, I wasn't in it for that. Like I, I watched Transformers when I was a kid. Like I was like I'm good, thanks. Well, my set.
1: my thing with Michael Bay is you can rag on him all you want, but the dude made Bad Boys. He made The Rock. Yep. Those are yep. fantastic action films. Yeah, they really, really are. Yes, he he hasn't evolved a whole lot, and some directors do, but not every yeah. not every director is going to be David Fincher, who's going to change what he does over time, or Ridley Scott, who yep. can be this chameleon who can come into just about any genre and do that. Not everyone can do that, but yeah, that's that's fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with being mean, good. You can pick out
0: a Wes Anderson movie at fifty yards, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Like. No problem.
1: Yeah. And just because you don't like a Michael Bay film, uh, whatever, it's fine. Like like what you like. I don't care. Yep. But one of the things that I really like about Ridley Scott is his ability to to jump barriers and not always do the same thing over and over. And yep. yet, there's something about his style where I can say... Yeah, okay, that's a Ridley Scott movie. Like, after I watch it, I can know that. Tony Scott, his brother, did a lot of that. Now, his brother, Tony, was much more um, on the spectrum towards a Michael Bay. Sure. Where Tony Scott did a lot of action stuff. But Tony Scott's movies, Top Gun, Days of Thunder, Enemy of the State, uh, Domino, like, that's all good stuff, too. He just had a different, slightly different style from his brother. He was more, Tony was more bombastic. I think what with Ridley Scott, he can, he has this way of being a lot more, uh, his more deft hand, right? Mm -hmm. It's more, more subtle, more nuanced to his, uh, to his style that I really just, I really dig. So man on fire is another good Tony Scott. Yes, Phil. I agree. Um, but then it's the performances and, and look, obviously when you're picking people like Sam Rockwell and putting them in your movie, you're going to get good because it's Sam Rockwell. Mhm. but to get good out of everybody and getting uh cuz it's basically I mean because four.
0: It, it depends on it. Yeah. It's it's so small and it's so vital because the whole story falls apart if it's not if it's not absolutely on point.
1: Mhm. Yeah, you have essentially five characters in this movie. Cuz we yeah. won't count your side characters, but you have you've got Roy, Angela, Frank, Char uh Charlie I think for and then the doctor, Bruce Altman.
0: The doctor, yeah.
1: That's it. So it, your mm-hmm. movie hinges on all of them hitting their marks and being good. Yep. And they're all great. Yep. They're all fantastic, no matter how little time they have on screen. Because really, Bruce yeah. McGill and Bruce Altman are not on screen much.
0: No. But I'm
1: going to remember them. Yeah. So. You
0: know, I think the part where the, the part where Frank uh, questions the meds, it's like we he just gave them to you. I think that's like oh, super, sorry. like you're like, Oh wait, no, they're working together. Like at the, you know, like you think about it after, and you're like, oh man, <laughs> he knew what it was the whole time. He Come did. on. And he just
1: plays him so well. Like they play Roy like a fiddle. Yeah. They knew exact and that's why I have to feel like Frank spent time coming up with this plan. And I I wonder how long, because he had to know all the right buttons to press and how to do it and when to do it.
0: And the other part is that while, while they used his, his mental health issues as sort of their in, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Cause they get him in contact with the doctor and the doctor gets him in contact with the daughter. And that's like, it's not, they don't take advantage of his mental illness. You know no. what I mean? Like, like that it's, it's important to the story and it's their way in, but they don't, it's not, you know. They, yeah, they don't structure the weakness. con It's not around, a weakness.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. That's a perfect way to put it. It's not treated as a weakness. They don't structure their yeah. con around getting him in a position where he can't function because of all of it. Right. Um, you know, he uses everything. Frank uses everything that Roy taught him, whether it's uh, adapting on the fly. Like he finally wears him down to do the big con that that Roy yep. was reluctant to do. And then Frank knows that Roy will, will roll with the punches. He'll adapt. So what's he do? Yep. Bumps up the timetable. It's two days earlier now. We got to do it now. Right. And, you know, obviously he's working with Angela, so he knows that Angela can be part of it, but she's going to want... Right. Her character has to play the part of wanting to be involved. So they've had this, you know, few days where, where Roy and Angela are bonding and he's teaching her stuff. Yep. And we're seeing that as the audience of like, the dad reluctantly teaching his daughter what he does because he's a con man. It's all he knows. She's so yeah. excited to learn it. Meanwhile, in yeah, the background, he... the stuff that we don't know is like, she's playing him to get to that. Point. Right. Like it's so well done.
0: But then he goes to the psychiatrist and, you know, tells him that, you know, he's, he's teaching her things that aren't great. And he's like, and you feel bad about it. And he's like, no, it was great.
1: Yeah. That was, <laughs> was oh, fantastic. That was awesome.
0: <laughs> where he's, he's so
1: because I had a note down like that scene with the the first little con they do at the laundromat. Yeah. I really liked it because again there's there's where the Nicholas Cage performance is at its peak is him right. sitting in the car watching her take the money. So it's like you get this whole you get to run the whole gamut with him. He's so proud of her for how well she did the con.
0: And the thing about that con, though, is that woman isn't going to think that that Angela did anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, oh, it was not the right ticket. Like, it was an on You know what I mean? Like, she doesn't feel like she got conned in the end.
1: Right. Yep, exactly. And and it's just, it's, it's great. Because, again, you're seeing him and he's like, he's sitting in the car being like, watch out for the cameras, you know, and, and watching yep. her not, not stand where the camera at the ATM can see her and all this, but then as she's getting the cash handed to her, now you see this, like, the look on his face change that little bit, like, should I really be teaching her this? This is my daughter. I'm not sure this is a good thing, but then...
0: I'm new at this dad stuff, but I don't know.
1: Like, I haven't been a dad for very long, but something about this doesn't feel right. (laughs) And yet he's so ecstatic that he's teaching her this and how well she took to it at the same time. So it's like, it's just that great nuanced I mean, because
0: he's... Like guess like when he when he first mentions to the to the psychiatrist that he might have a, a child and they just refer to it back and forth as he you know what I mean because and and like all right you know like you have no dad skills but like all right we can take him and well we can't go out and play ball because he doesn't go outside but you know what I mean like you've got that yeah. at least and now it's like a girl what are you gonna do with that I don't know
1: yeah no, it's it, it's so good. It's just, I just love it. I, I love this movie. This I can't believe it took me 14 years or 17 years to see it, whatever it was, 2004. So, yeah, it's like 17 years. Yeah. I'm mad at myself for that. Um, <laughs> Nothing else, but, uh, well,
0: I'm not because we got to talk about it on right.
1: the show. I, the, the flip side of that coin is I got to talk about it here and I got to talk about it with you. And this is the third movie you have come here with that you had seen before. And you're three for three. I just want to say that. Amelie, Triplets of Belleville, and now Matchstick yeah, Men.
0: one,
1: not a French film, so not a French expanding.
0: film. Expanding for one. <laughs> that so, one was an accident.
1: And and then we've talked so, about Knives Out too, and I got to show you that. Yeah. So uh, I've got I, now I have to come up with two more movies, so I got to even the score. Um, okay. So you know it's it's one of those where I'm really glad that I got to see this because it's just that good. If you haven't seen it and we've spoiled it for you and whatever, I don't. You know, you'll still your own, like your own, it. Fall, it's still you're still gonna enjoy the movie. It's it's good. Yeah. It's criminal that it did not do better in theaters though. I will say that. Like this should have yeah. been a better movie. I'm almost wondering if by two thousand four, because we had Ocean's Eleven, I think Ocean's Twelve had been out by then.
0: Mm. I don't Where remember. we just burnt out on heist movies.
1: And I'm wondering because Confidence was 2003 and that didn't do very good either. Yeah. And so it almost feels like. I mean, I like...
0: definitely saw it. When I saw it, it was either like happened to be next in my Netflix DVD queue or I picked it up with a free code from Redbox, which was brand new. It was one of those two scenarios. You know what I mean? Like I didn't. Yeah. I didn't set out to be like, I'm going to watch this movie. Like, it definitely sort of just showed up in some, you know, easy form.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's, I've heard from a few people is it's, it's one of those where it's like, yeah, I just sort of, it was there and I got to watch it um, yeah. type of thing. Well, Ocean's HBO, 12 was the same so year, there. so. Yeah. Yeah, I think oh, there was Ocean's a little love bit of, so too, oh, hmm. it is. By the way, the writer of uh, this movie was also the writer of Ocean's 11, was also the writer of Ravenous, which is a movie I love. Uh, with Guy Pierce, um, hmm. So he, he had, he doesn't have a ton of credits, but he's good. Uh, I also liked Dodie Dorn was the editor for this. And I thought mm-hmm. the editing was really good. Yep. Uh, and then I went back through and I looked at her, uh, her list and Holy crap. Um, oh yeah. Her first major movie uh, was probably um, Memento. So she did the editing for that. Uh, she had done some shorts and documentaries and things before that, but Memento, Insomnia. So she worked with Nolan a couple of times. Matchstick Men, Kingdom of Heaven. She drew, uh, she edited, um, as well as uh, Fury, um, and uh, even uh, Army of the Dead was one of hers. Dodie Dorn is her name. Um, she was great. I thought her. I thought the editing and the cinematography by John Matheson was also really good. He, there's another one of those where it's just like go along the list and see what he's done director of photography and it's everything from matchstick men to X-Men first class right? 47 Ronin. Um, so he's done like the crazy stuff. He's done things like uh, he's worked with uh, Ridley Scott a lot actually. Uh, but he also did Logan um, the direct, he was the director of photography for that. So like John Matheson's good. Yeah. Um, Ridley that's, that's the thing. Ridley Scott is, Watching that documentary on the making of this movie was really cool because one of the things that uh, one of the producers had said was like, when you hire Ridley Scott, he shows up with his crew of people. Like he yeah. shows up with his director of photography and his costume person. And we bring in Dodie Dorn and he works with her. And it's just like the one producer was like, he makes my job easy. Cause then like half of it's already done for me and I don't have to worry about going yeah. through my list of 20 people that are available to be the editor for this movie. He's like, no, we'll, we'll use them. Yeah. And that's it's because filmmaking is such a collaborative thing. It's great to see good people. Right. It, it could
0: be, worlds. it could be bad, like to always work with the same people. Um, but then it, like you could definitely fall into traps like i i you know what i mean and things could get stale or whatever but when you have just such a quality um like such a quality team i think you're usually pretty safe you are like you get to work with people that you can cuz you have to work with people you can trust right mm-hmm. first of all and you have to work with people that you know will tell you when like even if you're the one in charge right you're the director you're in charge you need someone who's going to tell you like "Mm, that's not that's not going to cut it or that's not working or this is whatever Uh, so yes you know
1: that is exactly the point that i was going to make which is not only do you have to have a good working relationship with them but part of that is being able to tell the person you're working with you're wrong yeah they brought that up in the documentary because Hans zimmer did the music for this movie So the score was Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer's great. Hans Zimmer's worked with Ridley Scott a lot. And he said like their initial music for the movie was much, even more lighthearted and comedy based than what was in the final movie. And there's a, there's a moment in the documentary and it's Hans Zimmer and he's talking. He's like, the thing I like about working with Ridley is he doesn't hold back, but he's not, he's not like, mean-spirited about it but he'll tell me when something's wrong and then it cuts to Ridley Scott and he's like what I like about working with Hans is (laughs) I can tell him when something is wrong but he can he also feels like he can do that with me where he's like you know this I don't think works right right and it's like that relationship that working relationship makes for good stuff Um, I think another one was either a production designer or assistant director somebody talked about the first meeting with Ridley Scott they sat down and this guy was like, I was getting ready to sit down and have like a 25-minute, you know, here's kind of what we're thinking about doing, and then go on. He's like, five and a half hours later, we're still yeah. there in this meeting. He goes, the three movies previously I had worked on, I didn't spend five hours with the director for the whole shoot. <laughs> and he <laughs> yeah. was like, I did that for the first meeting. So that kind of stuff, that attention to detail and that that willingness to collaborate comes across on the screen, I feel like. Absolutely. A, a lot, so. Yeah, um, this movie's good. This is good stuff. Thank uh-huh. you for bringing it to my attention, and it's a perfect way to my end Cage of Palooza because, again, I like to celebrate Nick Cage not just the ridiculousness and the meme quality right. of of Nick Cage, but how good he can be too. And this is yeah. that example of of peak Cage. Like, this is the Nick Cage that wins awards mm-hmm. and is respected in Hollywood, not not the Nick Cage that does. Bad Lieutenant, port of call, New Orleans, <laughs> <laughs> which may or may not show up next year. Who knows? Um, but yeah, this is good. Th- this was a fun Cage of Palooza uh, this year. I-, I had a varying degree of movies, and this was a perfect one to end on. So, thank you, Amy. And of course, always a pleasure having you on. Um, anytime you want to come on, you're more than welcome. Uh, but this was a great one to end this month on. So I had a ton of fun, and I got to watch a movie that I hadn't seen before.
0: There you go. So. I That's what I always like. If, if someone like me <laughs> can bring a movie that you haven't seen, I call that a win.
1: Yes, I would go with that as well. Uh, now, so this ends August, and it ends Nick Cage month. Um, next week, though, I've got a fun one uh, because it's a movie that I first saw in 2003, I believe it was. Um, and it was my cousin was telling me about it. And he's like, you got to watch this movie. And I watched it. I don't, I'm curious to see how it will have aged in my head, but it is uh Joe mm. hood is coming on and we're going to talk about Donnie Darko. Oh, cause he's never seen it before. And Joe
0: was my, Joe was my ANTP right hand. He was my, he was my Hans Zimmer and <laughs> my Ridley Scott. Oh, Joe's
1: great. <laughs> Joe, Joe is great. Yeah. I, I love having him on, and uh, we got talking, and he brought up Donnie Darko, and I was just like, he, he started to come up with a list of stuff, and he said, Donnie Darko, I'm like, sold, we'll do that, because there's a lot to talk about with that movie, but I'm really interested to hear his thoughts on it 20 years yeah. later, seeing it through right. the eyes of today and through how films have come along versus right. what it was like for me in my early 20s to see this movie with my, you know, very hipsterish cousin showing it to me. So, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm curious. Um, So that's next week. And then uh, I've got some more fun stuff in September and, uh, and October lined up Uh, October being all Halloween horror themed all the time. Mm -hmm. We've got a good uh, monster movie. We've got a good anthology. Uh, We're going to have some fun in October as well. So that's kind of stuff coming up. Now you, you, You do a show, actually you do a show that I really, really enjoy listening to that is coming back soon, right?
0: Yes, yes. So, um, Willow, the cozy horror podcast about uh, a young woman from Montreal who inherits a cafe on the U.S.-Canadian border um, from a relative she didn't know existed and turns out that there's a lot more going on in town than she thought. Uh, we are coming back for season four on September ninth, which is like way soon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but there are currently three seasons available to listen to, and I mean we do kind of re- and three special episodes, and we do kind of recommend that you uh, listen to them, you know, so you know where we're at. But we will eventually put together like a, if in case you've missed it, here's where we are.
1: Previously, but. On uh,
0: uh, previously um but yeah no i am hyper excited for this season because uh it's yeah we've been setting we we talked about with this movie all of the little like hints and threads and things like that well there's a lot of that going on right now so uh yeah jf writes it and i do um all the audio and production and yeah September and- number nineth
1: and it is it is a fantastic show. It is the writing. JF's writing is great. Your presentation uh, is phenomenal. I I from the first episode I was hooked, and it's that perfect mix of even if you're not a horror story fan, this is the type of creepy horror story that you'll enjoy. Uh, I mean, cozy... that's how
0: it came about. Yeah, because JF is a horror author, and I do not like horror, so he wrote <laughs> horror for me. Yes, and um, cozy horror is, is the perfect
1: habit. word. Yep. Like it's cozy it's great. Horror. It's uh, so it's so worth listening to, and I'm I'm really excited for season four. Um, so yeah, uh, anywhere you find podcasts, Ache Willow or A
0: C H E W I L L O W.
1: Yeah, and it's Akewillow.com as well. Yeah, yeah. So definitely check that out, Amy. Thank you for being on this week. This was fun. Well,
0: thank you for having me.
1: Of course, and uh, and thus concludes Cajapalooza. Palooza in the year 2021 next august we're going to do it again um so uh, buckle up because it's going to be a wild one uh, we have done like 15 nick cage movies already on this show and in, in, over the past uh three three years so which is weird to think that i've been doing this show for almost three years now um <laughs> But, yeah, uh, so Donnie Darko next week coming up. That's going to be a ton of fun. I cannot wait. And and I love having Joe on. And I've got some other good ones coming up um, as well. So be ready for that. Uh, But until until next week, until Donnie Darko, enjoy your movies um, and be excellent to each other. There's been Wait You Haven't Seen. Never work near where you live.
0: Don't shit.
1: Rule number two, don't write anything down. Diamond
0: Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>